welcome everyone to episode 88 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and I just want to say thank you for checking us out. If you like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us a ton. It just helps us continue to grow. Now, this week, we're going to be bringing Adam Pratt from Arcade Heroes, as well as the owner of Arcade Galactic, back onto the show um, to talk about arcades, games, things like that. So we have more of an idea of what it's like from the business side. So I guess without further ado, Adam, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. I'm glad you're able to get on here. It's always fun talking you. to you to kind of get your perspective since there's not a lot of people in the industry that like have as much knowledge of the arcade scene in general just because you run the blog, but also as an owner too. So unique Thanks. perspective from you. Um, Thanks. I guess for anyone that doesn't know who you are, just go ahead, introduce yourself again and let them know who you are. Sure. So uh, I'm Adam Pratt. I'm running an arcade here. In fact, I've got a customer here. Sorry, how much? All right. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, running a, a real arcade business in uh, Utah. Um, I guess show you here. First customer of the day. Only uh, keep a few games on in the mornings uh, just because sometimes I can be sitting around here without uh, uh, anybody around and that wastes electricity. And electricity has become a bit more expensive lately but uh anyways yeah i do the blog arcadeheroes.com and uh been doing that since 2007 the blog itself has been around since 2006 and uh, it was sold to me uh, sometime uh, after i started writing for it and been doing the arcade since 2008 which actually it'll be our 14th year anniversary here on june 8th and so uh Looking forward to that as well. Um, but I may need to go turn some more games on right now because I've got some more people here wanting to play. So I uh, might need to um, pause on that really quick. But uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad they're coming back. Um, I guess yeah. we'll we'll talk about um, your West Valley City. That's the location that you're at right now. Yeah. Um, kind of run us through what that process was like starting that arcade. Yeah, so um, way, way back when I was just a wee lad, <laughs> um, uh, I think I was six or seven, somewhere around there, um, when I visited my very first arcade, and this was like in the, the very late 80s, and um, it was for a birthday party, my friend's birthday party, and he uh, well, I went around the arcade, we only got a small amount of tokens, um, but, and I spent them on some games that I don't really remember. Maybe one was Akari Warriors, but there was one game that really stood out to me, and it was called Discs of Tron. Um, but I'd already spent my tokens, so I went around coin fishing, going into all the little coin reject slots to see if I could find any more tokens uh, <laughs> to play that one. And I think I did get a chance. I didn't really understand the game very well, um, but something about it really fascinated me. I mean, I grew up. Before that, playing video games, any video game I could get my hand on. Um, but something about the Tron game drew me in. And so sometime later, maybe a few years later, I finally got to see the movie. And that movie really stuck with me, the, the main character of Kevin Flynn. And him running an arcade, making video games, things like that. And I guess just planted a seed where it's like, hey, I want to do that when I grow up is uh, that it'd be so cool to own and operate an arcade. And so uh, later on as a teenager, eventually one of the jobs that I did was working at an arcade 
facility, um, what in the business we call them FECs or family entertainment centers where they have, they had a big arcade, but they had a lot of other attractions like a skating rink, mini golf, uh, movie theater, uh, restaurants, um, some rides and other stuff like that, laser tag. Um, so I worked there for a while and that uh, helped me get some experience within the business to kind of know how it ran. And, um, but also I was always into writing and a few years later, that's where I started just doing my own research into what was going on with the arcade industry and uh, what was the news. Cause almost nobody was reporting any arcade news. Like most game magazines, those that still existed in the early two thousands, um, barely mentioned arcades. And then there weren't really many websites. There was one called barcade.com, which was not the same barcade that, now operates locations um, and that they were the only ones that I recall and, and replay magazine to a, and play meter magazine to a small degree reporting on news to the industry but uh, eventually discovered the arcade heroes blog and uh, started sending them stuff and they're like hey why don't you write for us and then they that's where I started doing that but within not wasn't long after that process that it was like I was really starting to um, put uh, my focus into starting the arcade business and so for a year or two i think i'd been developing a business plan and there was a i think they're still around a, a non-profit organization to help people learn how to start a business and they had mentors called score.org and they had like um you know, some business plans uh, templates that you could use and uh, that helped me focus on what I needed to learn to really uh, get the, the business off the ground, um, learn some things about applying for an SBA loan, which is what I did. I um, also got a little help from family members who, uh, there were a couple who purchased machines and uh, put them in and I paid them off slowly. And uh, just uh, you know, after I got that SBA loan, just opened up and went from there. And so I've been doing it for 14 years. And inside this mall, I'm inside of a mall, a Valley Fair shopping center, as they now call themselves. They don't want to call themselves a mall anymore. Uh, we've, uh, so we'll be here for 14 years. And um, we've uh, moved in this mall four times, uh, just due to reconstruction of the mall and them making it look nicer and adding more stuff. Uh, just there has been some detriment to that because as I speak, there is a giant FEC down the hall from me. And so a big locally owned bowling center, um, but uh, from a multimillionaire who they have like five locations in Utah. And so uh, when they opened, things uh, went from going really great to not as great. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. Um, but that uh, kind of sums it all up. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot going on. And as we know, I mean, things have been pretty crazy the last couple of years, but it seems yeah. like they're rebounding a little bit for you. Um, let's, let's talk about games. Like I'm curious and I've had people ask in the comments and stuff as to what games make the most money. Like what games really net you more than you pay for them by means of arcade games or even pinballs. Cause I know pinballs do pretty well too. Yeah. Um, and uh, on my arcade heroes channel, uh, YouTube channel. I've been uh, talking about that a little bit uh, in recent times. It's, it's uh, um, 
it's a difficult thing to get a hold of numbers in this industry because most operators uh, protect them harder than state secrets. And so it becomes uh, a real pain, but I'm just pulling up some recent numbers here. Like off the top of my head, I kind of already know what the types of games that are going to do well, but at least for this year and looking at it, um, my top five games, so my, my best performing game right now or this year is uh, The Walking Dead by Raw Thrills, a light gun game, a shooter game, basically. And then the other four are all racing games. And it, it, the, the thing that I, the spreadsheet I use does separate out the, uh, uh, each individual unit because we do track that. But uh, let me just see here. So yeah, like, our second place one. Where is that? Oh, Minecraft Dungeons is actually doing a little better than I thought it was. So it's actually my number two right now. Uh, Minecraft Dungeons Arcade by Raw Thrills, uh, which came out last year. And then number three would be Maximum Tune 5DX Plus by Bandai Namco. And number four. Um, the other units just right behind that in earnings, and then you have Cruising Blasts, and I have two units of that too, which make up five and six, basically. And so racing and light gun games, those are generally what do the best in this industry. They're kind of a surefire hit. Um, I haven't done the math on the Maximum Tune games to see how quickly they've paid themselves off, but uh, I do recall on Cruising Blast, which I got, I think, 2017 or so, that paid itself off within five and a half months. And the general thing in this business, uh, I guess one thing, one quick tangent is I used to sell games for a time too. While I was doing this, I worked for an arcade distributor selling machines. And one question that I would often receive is, how quickly will these things pay themselves off? And of course, it's a variable. It depends on each game. But the average that most operators look for is a year to pay itself off. And of course, anything that pays itself off under that, you're super happy with. But of course, there are certain games that when they start costing above twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, as some of them do, um, it takes it a little bit longer to do. Yeah. So um, pinballs, uh, and I also did a video about this recently, where um, pinball seems to depend very much on the type of business that it's in and the region or where it's at, and so. Um, like how a pinball would earn at an arcade in Chicago or in Portland, Seattle, like the West Coast uh, or extreme West Coast, because um, I guess I'm kind of technically West Coast or Rocky Mountains. Um, for some reason in those places, pinball seems to do better, at least from what I've heard, kind of anecdotally. Um, I was talking with an operator who does, uh, who runs several locations in Wisconsin. And he was telling me that he was talking to a bar operator where his average was maybe $200. I can't remember if it was a week or a month. Um, but he gave me a few numbers on some of his pinball machines. And they were about where I see mine, where they're not that great. They don't, have, they don't pay themselves off in a year's time. And sometimes you only really pay them off when you sell them. Uh, fortunately, pinball 
does sometimes seem to appreciate instead of depreciate in value. Uh, but of course, that depends on the game. And you know, something like Adam's Family is, oh, I guess, unless you're accounting for inflation since 1992, uh, <laughs> you uh, might. I think you're still coming out pretty well. But I haven't looked at Adam's Family pinball prices, but I've seen some pinball machines where, you know, they these days they're selling ten, twelve thousand uh, dollars for the ones that are most desirable. Adam's Family, Twilight Zone, uh, Junkyard, maybe. Uh, you probably hear some of the pinball being played right now uh, over my mic, and so it's just pinball. It, it's it's a it's an odd one because uh, I like having it because the people who tend to play it know it. And that, that means they're more loyal. Uh, they'll come in and play it more often. Uh, but there's also this weird effect that, that goes on. Maybe you can call it a dichotomy where uh, some people that really get into pinball like it so much that they buy it. And then so they have pinball machines at their home. And when they have, them at, have it at their house, they don't want to go to an arcade to play it. Um, but then pinball has a very tough time at really bringing in new blood, so to speak, where like in my place, I usually have quite a few families that come through, kids, teens, adults. You know, people ask me, what's the age range that you see? And it's literally, I've seen people coming in with newborns and guys, uh, ladies that are in their 90s. And so it really just covers everything. It's uh, kind of, I guess, a casual mix. Uh, but for a lot of those, uh, it's very rare that I see somebody encountering pinball for the first time and then they keep coming back to it afterwards. Now, we do get a lot of people that have never seen pinball before, don't know what it is. And particularly, uh, I do have a second location, I can't recall if I mentioned that, where uh, it's up in Ogden, Utah. And we've been operating that since the end of 2020. And for some reason up there, it's almost daily, at least weekly, where we get somebody that comes in who is genuinely perplexed by what pinball is. They don't know how to play it, uh, what it's all about. They see something that draws them in, such as the license, you know, be it Star Wars or Jurassic Park or something like that. Um, but then when they approach it, they just don't know what to do with it because it looks so complicated. And so that's one odd thing with pinball. Even though it's been around longer than video games have, uh, there's just so many people that don't really understand what it what the point is like i've had customers ask me that before like what's the point or how do you win this and uh, that like i've heard pinball designers talk before where they want you to feel like you are the pinball or you know the pinball's the hero of the game it's the arcade hero or the pinball hero and they they want to make the player feel like they're the the ones like they're putting themselves into the pinball but that's a really difficult thing to get across just by the game existing by just simply being there and so whereas video games you know that's a little easier to approach you know if you approach a racing game you see the steering wheel you know it's a racing game you know you're going to race you see uh, a light gun game same thing joystick games can be a little different in that regard just because there's so many different genres that you can get with a joystick but still it's fairly easy to approach but uh 
even though pinball it doesn't have complicated controls, it's just the rest of the game. Uh, a lot of people just don't understand that it's basically baseball, where you're you know, instead of trying to knock it out of the park, you're knocking it into targets <laughs> instead. And so that's sometimes the analogy that I'll use to people when they ask, you know, what is this thing here? And I'll say, well, think of baseball, but you got two bats and you're hitting the ball in the targets to get as many points as you can. That definitely makes sense. I've never thought of it like baseball. That's that's a pretty good analogy for kind of the way that it works. And I guess another question I've been asked that people are curious about for arcade owners is what games do you have the most issues with? Like if you can draw to like kind of a category or a specific game that you know of that you have like nightmares about having to fix, <laughs> uh, just let us know what those games are and sure. why do you think they have issues? Well, pinball is one of them. Uh, just because it is mechanical, uh, it, they tend to get a lot of have a lot of issues, and sometimes they're very difficult to figure out what's wrong. Like right now, I, I have a Star Trek from Stern that I bought in 2013, and uh, lately it's just been having some bizarre issues where it just starts losing the balls. And I go in and check the switches because generally the game uses switches to sense whether where the ball's at or what's going on um, but it keeps seeming to forget where the ball is and the switches are all checking out and yet it's still losing the ball so um, I'm, I'm not a pro technician or anything I'd call myself maybe intermediate <laughs> but uh, you know that's where I have to consult somebody that knows a bit more about these things to try and figure it out but uh, you know I'm far more often buying things for pinball machines than I am for the video games. Now that said, there are some video games which do cause me headaches. And you know, sometimes when you, uh, you look at them, you're just like, gosh, I want to sell this. At the same time, I almost feel bad. Like I don't want to sell somebody else a headache. <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes that just happens uh, whether you want to or not. But um, uh, let's see, there's a, uh, it was Redline Rampage by Global VR, um, which I had bought as a kit to convert some old Need for Speeds into this somewhat newer game called Redline Rampage. And that's had a lot of strange issues and has required a lot of uh, resets a lot of the time. And so that might, that's one that I wouldn't mind getting rid of, I guess. Um, there was a motion simulator that um, you know, motion simulators can earn really well when they're working. But when they fail, sometimes they can be a real pain just because they're so massive and it's hard to possibly get to the parts that deal with the motion portion. Now, in recent times, they have been moving away from more complex hydraulic systems. Uh, but they, uh, motion games, uh, they, they're, they're hit and miss. But they, they've been moving away from the more hydraulic systems to air bladder systems. Like I think pretty much everything on the market these days uh, that, that comes from an arcade manu an arcade manufacturer like Roth Rails or Sega uh, would use these air bladders because they are supposed to be easier to repair uh, and cheaper, which is always nice. It's just like my LA take attack. It did have a bevy of issues. And at this point I've just taken it off the floor and, um, going to part it out, sell parts if I can. There's not a lot of them out there with a lot of interest in that. 
Um, but I'm going to see about converting the monitor portion into just some other game. And so um, uh, other than that, uh, there, there's not a ton. I guess uh, the old CRT tube monitors, uh, the, those can be a pain uh, just because you do want to, uh, at least as the, the collector or gamer side of me, wants to try and keep the original tubes going in them as long as I can. But uh, this is something I also talked about recently was that it's becoming really difficult to find parts for certain monitors. Um, you know, if it's Wells Gardner, then that's usually not a big issue, but you know, Neotech and it, or some rare Wells Gardner monitor models that may have existed back in the day. Like I have a Rampage by Midway and it uses some strange uh, Wells Gardner model uh, tube in it that um, uh, when I had a collector guy who works on classics all the time, when he looked at it, he was kind of baffled and it took him a while to find the, the parts for it just because it wasn't a common chassis. And so, I mean, working on those, I, I become hesitant just because, well, for one, you need to make sure you properly discharge it so you don't accidentally kill yourself uh, through electrocution. Uh, working on those and then of course there's a lot of soldering involved uh, i recently just had to you know, give up on a virtual fighter 2 monitor just because i've replaced almost everything in it except for the tube itself and it was it just kept having the same issue uh, and so it it sucks but you know eventually in, in, from a business perspective you have to end up um, putting an lcd in it instead yeah, I mean, I know the CRTs are, they're a pain. They definitely can be a pain. And yeah. a lot of people talk about having issues with them. I know Kelly, uh, the coder for Lex Battleground, just bought a bunch of cabinets and moved them. And the CRT was the issue with every single cabinet that he's had an issue with. So yep. it's been small little tweaks, but nothing major. But uh, sure. that's always been the issue. Um, I guess the last question I really have for you is, what advice would you give to a new arcade startup? Like someone that's just getting into it, Say they've got a collection of like 20, 30 games, they're ready to start an arcade. What advice would you give to them to get over some of those initial hurdles? That's a good question. Um, might be a long answer. <laughs> um, I, I do recommend kind of what I did was uh, I, I, where I did a business plan and it did take me a while to go through. Yeah, there were a lot of things that in my business plan I didn't use, but when I went to ask somebody for money, the bank, uh, it showed that I was serious. I remember the, the, the guy there, the loan officer, um, he said, yeah, I've had 25 people come in uh, asking for an SBA loan, but you're the only one that's given me a business plan. And so even though a lot of my numbers, as I learned later, were a bit too rosy and I was trying not to be too rosy on those, but it was really difficult to get the information on this particular industry because when you look up a lot of stuff, read stuff about business, they're usually dealing with things like inventory and, and stuff like that. Whereas in arcade, you don't have that. You have the equipment, which is essentially your inventory, but you know, all this equipment is typically very, very expensive. And Lately, with inflation, and there was also a big auction that happened, I think it was last year, uh, where the, pub, 
the prices were published, and that kind of warped everybody's sense as to what the value, the real value of those games were. Um, it's just caused this perfect storm of prices going up and, and shipping as well. Um, and so you, you want to get a business plan so that you really go through and think about every aspect that you possibly can. It's impossible to anticipate everything, of course, um, but with a business plan and talking to other operators, uh, if you can reach out to any and getting their advice, uh, that helps. Now, some operators may not be willing to talk to you. Uh, especially if they think that you might be opening up in their area and that you might be competition. They may not want to because they don't want to help out their competitors. Um, but I've gotten a lot of emails and calls over the years from people who are looking to get into the business, and I've been more than, than happy to help where I can. And, uh, and of course, there's always a lot of different questions. Um, but also having the capital there you know this is a very pricey business to get started into now if you already do have some games that's great that's how i started because i i don't come from wealth uh and uh, the, the sba loan that i got the the most amount that i was able to get was fairly small in a business sense i think it was like thirty three thousand. um which when you're dealing with new games that doesn't go a very long way in fact there's games these days that cost thirty thousand dollars so i yeah, or more. Uh, but you know, getting as many games as you can before you start up and making sure that they work and then also having enough capital so that you can operate the business uh, just because there's a lot of costs that go into this. There's rent, which is usually one of your biggest monthly costs. And I, I know it might be different if you own the building, but that's not something that most experience most will have to go to uh, another building and lease it out or um, a strip mall or a mall what have you um, and, and i am finding it difficult for arcades like mine to be operating in malls these days because a lot of investors with a lot of money see malls as great places to build these giant fecs like happened down the hall from me uh, because happen to have a lot of these closed Sears and Mervins and uh, other giant uh, ex-giant retailers uh, and their buildings just sitting there and malls want to do something with them and so it's become kind of a trend to do entertainment in those. Now if you do have that kind of capital um, then you know, getting into a mall is like I said it's, it's something that is a perfectly viable option because malls are willing to work with you. Um, it's just if uh, back when I sold games, uh, people would ask, often ask me, you know, how much money does it take? I, I want to open up something like Chuck E. Cheese's or I want to open up something like Dave and Buster's. Uh, well, what I remember hearing uh, a lot of the time was that Chuck E. Cheese's usually cost somewhere between two to three million dollars to start, uh, whereas a Dave and Buster's could be between 10 to 15 million. And so um, if you do have that money, then, yeah, you can make something similar to that work but uh, if you're like me and you don't <laughs> then you can still make things work on a budget uh, you just have to be sensible about which games you're going to pick and, and put in there and so if you can collect anything prior to that again like i did i collected uh, several older games from the 80s and 90s uh, before i started up it's just for 
the business model that I wanted to do, which was a kind of a classic mall arcade where I had retro games, brand new games, and, and some pinball, air hockey, that sort of stuff, your staples, um, all into one. And it, it was difficult to, to start out that way, but I was able to survive the economic crash of 2008. <laughs> like I, I literally opened, I think, a month before um, that all started to come crashing down. But uh, And then, you know, just finding things that can set yourself apart. Like if there are any arcades in your area, then you should go to them and see what they're doing and see if there's anything that you can do better or see if there's anything that they may not offer. Uh, you know, that's one thing that I've done before is pick up indie games just to uh, offer something else because it's like no giant FEC is going to buy an indie game except for maybe Killer Queen but even then I know a lot of them don't have something like that um, and, and that helps stand apart it's just unfortunately indie games are a tough one just as they aren't going to be competing with The Walking Dead or Maximum 2 in an, er- in an earnings from an earnings perspective and so you do need to be careful about what games you pick. That's where it is wise to get some of those safe bets, you know, some of the, the light gun games and the driving games. As I've seen many instances where those games are what are carrying some of my weaker games through the day. And now I still do like to have those games. I don't want to just have an arcade full of racing games or an arcade full of light gun games. I personally think that when you go to an arcade, having variety is a boon. Um, I've seen so many people through the years come in and just be looking for one game. You know, I, or do you have Marvel versus Capcom or do you have um, something else? So sometimes you'll get people asking for bizarre, rare games that nobody has. <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes there, there are certain ones that people just kind of expect to see in an arcade. You go to one, you want to see a a DDR, a Miss Pac-Man, a Street Fighter 2, that sort of thing. And so th- those are, of course, our safe bets. But uh, another concept that I've learned over the years that's interesting and helpful is what I call in- indirect income. And to me, that's kind of what pinball is, uh, and also retro gaming for my situation, is that um, having those games helps bring some people in and they may just play that game once or twice and then they're satisfied. But then as they look around then they see something else that they want to play. And so it was the Miss Pac-Man or the street fighter or the King of fighters 98 that brought them in. And, but now where I have all these other games, this variety, then they're going to go and try that out. And so that, and that's why I still do have retro games and rare games and indie games, even though they're not, the most amazing stellar earners for my situation. They, they're they still bringing in income that I can't really track. You know, It's all kind of helping keep the entire ship up. You know? <laughs> One of the cogs that's uh, keeping the, the machine running, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice. I mean, what I'm hearing is be prepared. So have your business plan figured out yeah. and everything. And then have a good variety of new games, classic games, and a mixture of pins, gun games, stuff like that. So you've got a whole bunch of different options. So when people come in, they can play pretty much anything they want. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what I like about indie games is just it, it helps surprise them. 
but yep. something that maybe they've never seen or considered before. It's just, uh, I know for any indie developers that might be out there, you still, you have to be careful to not make it too strange <laughs> um, or too esoteric or, or too hard to, it needs to be intuitive still. Uh, and uh, an interesting thing that I've discovered in, in running the Exa Arcadia, which I mentioned in uh, some previous videos with you, was that um, one, one game that I got that I didn't really expect much from, uh, called Gimmick Exact Mix, it, it's, it's a remake of a 1992 NES game that very few people have ever heard of. And, uh, but surprisingly, and this surprises the guys at Exa as well, um, it, at least last I checked, it's been a while, uh, they, it was my number two performing game on the Exa platform behind the Kung Fu versus Karate Champ, a 3D fighting game. And I was perplexed by that because the game, it's obscure, for one. Nobody's ever heard of it, except for very, very few into speedrunning stuff and NES stuff, but uh, your casual person walking in has never heard of it. And it's a very tough game. It's a platformer, kind of like Super Mario, but it requires a bit more skill to it than Super Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog does. And because of that, it's kind of got a little bit of a learning curve. And so I was kind of wondering, it's like, why is it that people keep playing this? And, uh, you know, they wouldn't always finish their game. <laughs> but, but what is it that drew them in? And it's, I think, the vibrancy, the look of it. It's a very cute looking game. The colors really pop. And just that, that overall art aesthetic to it, 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 it draws them in and so if, if there's anything you can do like i know a lot of indie developers sometimes they are the artist and the coder and the sound designer uh, and that's very tough to to you know do all wear all those hats um, but if there's anything you can do to help the game look different look, look stand out you know really catch people's attention and then and that works out really well because it's the arcade is almost like the, the the little candy racks that you have at the grocery store right before you're right when you're paying for your for your stuff you know they, they put that there to catch attention and hopefully get a you know another few bucks out of you and the arcades like nothing but that and so you have all these different games calling for attention and so it can be very easy for a game to get lost in that sea of different titles, different names, most names that people know, and um, all the flashy lights that especially go into games these days. And so anything that the game can do itself, especially where, from an indie perspective, you're generally not dealing with licenses. You're dealing with something that you've created yourself. And so that needs to stand out in such a way that makes people realize that one it's a new game is uh, that is one issue i've discovered with indie games is sometimes when well when you're in an arcade that has games from the 1980s all the way up till now that an indie game that looks like it was made for 1985 or 82 or whatever is they may just think, oh, this must be an old game in a new cabinet, I guess. And they just kind of walk by because they've never heard of it before. Uh, but if it does something on on the visuals, the graphics, and maybe even the cabinets, then it can stand out and get those coins. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Being able to stand out as an indie game is a very important thing. And, and sometimes, it's tough. I, I get it. It's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> right. And and sometimes you want to blend in. Like, that's kind of the goal of some games. Some games want to stand out a lot. I guess that's mm-hmm. that's really all I had for you today. So um, just shout out your social media so people can follow along with the journey and check out your arcade. Sure. Yeah, so uh, the blog is ArcadeHeroes.com, and I'm on pretty much every social media platform out there, Facebook, Twitter, of course. I'm on Instagram, but I always forget to check that. <laughs> I, I guess I haven't been big on that just because it doesn't allow you to really share hyperlinks uh, to go back to the blog, but uh, also on LinkedIn, uh, just under my own name, and uh, I've been posting more social stuff to uh, youtube as well and uh, i think that's probably the the biggest reach and i've been posting more videos about the industry inside the industry and and stuff but also arcade news so uh, youtube is a great place and then for my own arcade itself if anybody happens to be watching this that's in utah or maybe he's going to utah for a summer vacation uh, or memorial day vacation um it's arcadegalactic.com and uh, also have different social media links on there and we're in west valley city utah at the valley fair shopping center we're inside the mall we're not the big arcade that's on the outside with the bowling uh, but we're inside, tucked away near J.C. Penney, and we're at the Newgate Mall in Ogden, Utah, uh, and we're right next door to Victoria's Secret. Kind of a similar situation there. Um, but uh, thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it, and thank you all for watching. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Adam. It's always good to talk and get your insight. Um, like I said, you have a ton of knowledge on this stuff, so it's always great to hear it. And that wraps it up for this week. So if you're still watching, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We appreciate everyone that follows along. And until next time, peace. Yeah.